This is One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 59 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning, I'm talking with Melissa Collins-Porter, who is the producer and director of a new documentary called Aging Out. Melissa, good morning. Good morning, Eliza. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, actually, Aging Out in our field, the, the autism service provision field, and certainly when you're talking about serving both children and adults, which we do at Anderson Center for Autism, um, if I see the term aging out, I'm immediately intrigued and interested in what anybody has to say about that because it is it is a, a crisis, um, at least here in New York and I think throughout the country, in, you know, because you're out in California, <laughs> that families that I talk to whose children are getting close and close and closer to aging out of their educational program uh, refer to as falling off a cliff. So when when we came upon the trailer for your documentary, we wanted to understand it a little bit more. So on that note, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and what aging out is all about and why you are um, why you've worked on it? Sure. Um, I'm not just the producer and documentary of the film. I'm also the parent of a 19-year-old young man with autism. Um, So I was experiencing that feeling of falling off a cliff that I've heard so many times in all of the families and parents that I've spoken to and interviewed for the film and just among my friend and social groups. I have a film background and I have taught film studies at a local community college for, my gosh, 17 years now. And as my son started to age and I started to feel that panic and that fear, I had the idea that making a film about it would be a way for me to deal with that and a way to make the general public aware of the issues that are facing families like ours. Mm-hmm. And that, and how old was he when you, when you first embarked on, um, on this project? When I started the project, he was 15. So we still had um, we still had a few years left <laughs> to do, you know to um, to kind of figure out what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do I do agree with you that it's all over the country. Um, some states are better than others. California is one of the better states for adults with developmental disabilities. But what I found in researching is that because of, you know, whatever you think about the reasons for autism, and I'm you know, not here to discuss that, right. but um, it, there, there is an increase. And, and we know in California, we've, we've looked at the numbers, there is um, a huge explosion of diagnoses of autism that when a lot of these systems and services were set up, like in California, our um, Lanterman Act, which protects adults with disabilities and um, it enables them to live meaningful lives, was, uh, was passed in 1969. 1969, most people didn't know what autism was, right. and adults with developmental disabilities were a very small percentage of our population our state and now it's increased exponentially and we're all wondering how is the system going to support these vastly increasing numbers and I think that's probably true all over the country. Well absolutely I mean my, my take on it is that we're just sort of generally unprepared both in terms of the funding that's required to provide the continuation of appropriate 
and really best quality services to support adults um, with autism. But also on a very basic level, there seemed to be sort of this long term myth that that continues that, you know, autism is a childhood disability and that you grow out of it. Um, and I, yeah. for the life of me, can't figure out where that came from, except to say that maybe out of a desire for it to be true on the part of a lot of people, because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it would be it would be a very different situation for many people and their families um, and entire communities if this if that was actually true. But but the, the fact is that it clearly is not. And and even on like a, a level of uh, programs that exist and, and people who want to work in the field, you know, there there is a difference in the in the person who wants to work with children and a person who wants to work with adults it can be it can be really really challenging to find somebody that that you know that group of amazing people who really enjoy working with adults with developmental disabilities and so there's so many factors that go into it but the reality comes down still to i asked how old your son was when you started this because 15 is often a year i think for many families when that reality starts to hit it's mm-hmm. and it's often i've mm-hmm. heard from many families it's often also when families feel that their child is starting to thrive in their school program because they've had supports mm-hmm. for a certain number of years and it's sort of they're hitting that stride mm-hmm. and that rhythm, especially if they've been in the same school setting for a while, which then I would imagine makes the looming sort of end to that program even scarier because, you know, you, you just sort of have hit that this is this is going to work and this is helping. Does that resonate with you? Was that some of what was going Absolutely. on? Absolutely. I'm. I'm nodding my head. Um, my son, the public school district, um, our local one, could just absolutely could not serve my son. And we struggled for years. I was hearing the tail end of the person you were interviewing before me, and I was thinking, oh, I could have used those books a few years ago. Yeah. Um, we really, really, really struggled. And we finally got him into a non-public setting where it was up and down. I wouldn't say he was always thriving. You know, he's, he has behaviors, and um, and that's always difficult. But it was like a family there. You know, when I would go there, I would feel like these are my friends. Um, and we really felt like he had a he had a supportive environment. And they don't, you know, they they have adult programs at this at this non public place, but they they're limited and they weren't appropriate for my son. And and that's the other thing I wanted to show with the film is that yes, the public gets this perception that autism um, is a childhood disorder and part of that may be and and somebody I interviewed gave me this idea that um, when you're fundraising to put a cute little kid's face on a you know on marketing uh, materials is maybe more effective for people to open up their pockets and their wallets because kids are so cute but when you get you know a 21 year old who's self injurious Mm -hmm. and um, has some behaviors that are maybe scary out in the community people don't want to see that and uh, so that was part of why I made the film too but um, you know going back to our situation there's you know that we know that autism is a spectrum and that doesn't change in adulthood and there are there is another perception in the media when you do do see autistic adults um, they tend to be very high functioning um, doctors uh, rocket scientists uh, graduate students professors Mm -hmm. And that's just not the case for so many of our adults with autism. Yeah. There is that severe component. There is that behavioral component that um, that people need to be aware of. And I, I try to always follow up the film with a Q and A, and talk to uh, you know the mainstream population about 
you're going to be seeing my son and his friends in your community, and um, and here's how you can make everybody feel more comfortable. And maybe if if he's uh, your barista at Starbucks, you can be a little more patient with your coffee order, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I I think you you just nailed it, and I'm thinking of so many Anderson families too who'd be nodding their heads at what you just said. It's it's become a really interesting dialogue right now about the spectrum. Um, even the term neurodiverse, right, has become a really Mm-hmm. kind of hot topic in the field in mm-hmm. terms of you know do do it's it is it seems very hard and uncomfortable for a lot of people and and you know you can understand it and you can also wish it was different and hope that it will change but i think there is a level of discomfort when you know being around an adult sort of grown person who is engaging in either self-injurious or um or aggressive or property destruction type mm-hmm. of behaviors because there is it can be scary and and it's uh and i i mean as a fundraiser and a marketing person at, at anderson that's one of you know my main role there um i do understand what your friend was saying about about you know what can compel somebody to um to make a donation however and this is where i want to transition into really the film itself because at the same time that that may be true and and that all has to do with donor behavior and who your target audience mm-hmm. really is but what you're doing with this film is is really trying to shed a light and show what an adult or or somebody who's becoming an adult with um very challenged by autism is really going to look like in a community correct mm-hmm. i mean that's that's yes. like a main part correct. of it okay so correct. so did you have the opportunity when your son was young? Did you feel like like any of this was out there for you and for other families who may have been, you know, just hearing the diagnosis and starting to really understand what it meant long term? No, not at all. And all I could think of when he was, you know, first diagnosed was everything he wasn't going to have mm. and everything that was going to be taken away from my dream for him. And that all kind of happened in stages. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier that a lot of families have this, and, and I think the media has played into this, have this idea that their child is going to grow out of autism. And of course, I, you know, was one of the people that clung to that, oh, if I do the right therapies, if I send him to the right place, if I go to the right doctors, mm-hmm. he can grow out of this. But as he didn't, you know, my dream for him to, to have a PhD, okay, well, that's probably not going to happen, mm-hmm. but maybe he can go to college. Uh, well, then it became clear, mm, no, that's probably not in the cards for him either. I was like, clinging like a pit bull to this idea that he would get a high school diploma, mm-hmm. you know, even as, as recently as a few years ago. Sure. And, um, and I finally let go of that. So it was more kind of these layers that were peeled away from my dreams for him, which I, you know, I do another, oh, I can do another whole spiel about mm-hmm. how all of those dreams are, are cultural and societal mm-hmm. and not really about you know, the true measure of happiness. But I, I didn't have a face for adults with autism. And, and, and on, the, on the rare occasion that I did meet one, I was almost you know, staring and being rude because I'm going, oh, is this, you know, is this what Liam is going to be like? Is this what his life is going to be like? Mm. Um, because we just, you know, Rain Man was the face of adult autism, let's be honest. There and you, you know, go. I certainly got those comments. Is your son going to be like Rain Man? Yeah. So that was you, uh, you and many others, I'm sure. Was... <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. I um, know. We're going to take a um, quick. We're going to yeah. take a quick break and then come back to this and and get again a little bit more deep into the actual film and what to expect and how okay. people can can see it and can advocate for it to get farther out into the community. So okay. this is one in fifty nine, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host Eliza Bozanski, and we'll be right back. 
If you live, work, or frequently visit the Hudson Valley, you've probably passed by the sign for Anderson Center for Autism countless times. Have you ever wondered what our award-winning educational and residential program is all about? Well, let me shed some light. Ours is a place where evidence-based practices marry creative solutions, where students with autism learn how to communicate using whatever modality works best for them, where they learn independent living and vocational skills in nurturing environments, where their families enjoy visits full of special moments, where professionals come from all corners of the globe to obtain high-level training, where staff build rewarding careers, and where people develop lifelong connections. Learn more about our work optimizing the quality of life for people with autism by visiting us online at andersoncenterforautism.org. That's andersoncenterforautism.org. Or schedule a tour by calling us today at 845-889-4034. 845-889-4034. Welcome back to 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I'm speaking with Melissa Collins-Porter, who is producer and director of a documentary called Aging Out. So we've been talking about that topic. And she's also mom to Liam, who is a 19-year-old young man. I would say probably the inspiration for this documentary that you've created. That would be correct. Okay. So, Melissa, when we um, finished the first half of the show, we were talking about, you know, what a big issue this aging out issue is. Um, it is not resolved. It looks differently probably in every state and every area of the country, but it, it exists certainly everywhere. And it is something that is slowly but surely breaking the myth um, that I think people have clung to for a long time that autism is a childhood disability, which it is not. It is a developmental disability, but it is a forever diagnosis. No matter where an individual falls on the spectrum, you don't, you don't grow out of it. But that is different than not being able to learn, gain skills, change, grow, reach one's potential, be successful, and have an amazing quality of life. So that being said, can you talk to us about the documentary specifically? Like what it, you know, how long is it? Is it the story of people? Is it interviews? And does it hit that point? Is it, is it sort of a combination of what's missing, but also why it's so important to um, to look at this very important issue? It is all of those things. Yeah. It's 32 minutes long. Um, oh, and, it, and just for what you were just saying, you know, about autism being a lifelong disorder, the tagline for the film is autism is for life. And I tried really hard to strike this balance between the seriousness of what what we're facing as families, you know, when you get down to it, what we're facing as parents is who's going to take care of my child when I die. Right. And that's, um, that's a downer. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's not a feel-good idea. Um, so I tried to strike a balance between, um, you know, showing, uh, you know, people who aren't in our world that that's, that's how we go to bed every night. That's what we think about as we fall asleep, if we fall asleep. Um, striking that balance between the seriousness of that idea and showing that our kids do have potential and they can be happy and they can have meaningful lives. Um, but then asking the question, what is that going to take? Because that requires a very highly individualized program. I follow three families, um, and one of them is mine. 
One of them is a family who had at the time a 16-year-old named Sam um, who had actually grown up with my son. And Sam's story is about just wanting friends, you know, something Mm -hmm. that simple. He Mm -hmm. just really wants friends and has a really hard time connecting with people. And his family's desire to, as much as they love him, to make friendships happen for him. And then the second family is a friend of mine who is a single mom to two children with autism. Um, One is nonverbal and severe, and you get a glimpse into her life, which is around-the-clock care for both of her children, and the idea that that's not going to change. You know, the support that she gets is going to change, but the support that they need is not going to change. Right. And then um, my own family with uh, my son Liam, uh, my husband, and my neurotypical daughter, who is is 17 now, was um, uh, 14, I think, when we interviewed her. And the sibling angle is very important because a lot of times the siblings are the ones who kind of look at all of this happening and slowly get this realization that maybe this is going to fall on me. Right. Maybe I'm going to be the one who's going to care for my sibling and the different ways that they, you know, the, the I hate to use the word burden, but let's be honest, that, you know, to grow up from a young age and know, well, whether I decide to have children or not, I'm going to be responsible for another human being. Right. Um, so we do interview some of the siblings mm. and we, we kind of follow these three families and um, their fears and their hopes and what they think is needed uh, for their children to have meaningful lives. And then I weave in some interviews with a caseworker, a a lawyer, an advocate, um, you know, different people talking about the issues. Mm. So you really try to kind of capture all angles, but it sounds like a lot of the focus is on family members, uh, which makes sense to me because of what you said. And I, and I appreciate your frankness. I think, I, I think that one of the things that it would be a positive actually is to get past some of the, I don't know if it's, it's cultural or or I don't know where it was societal, what the right word is, but, but we have stigmatized some words to sort of be bad words. Like we're not allowed to say them, but the reality is, um, like you said, it's okay to say that this is a burden. Being a burden doesn't also negate the fact that it could also be a joyful thing that's, that a sibling, mm-hmm. uh, recognizes and says, absolutely. This is part of what my family is and who my family is. And this is, this is what's going to be, but there's really no denying that it is uh, not something that a sibling or a parent or an individual on the spectrum had any opportunity to choose. So, but I think, you know, I, so I, I like the fact that you're, you know, that you talk about it in that respect. So let's, let me just follow up on, on your daughter since you are, you know, with her. And um, so now she's 17. Have you seen her, uh, as she gets older and she's probably getting closer to, to the end of her high school experience, you know, has, has her view shifted since she was first interviewed at 14 or is she sort of consistent in, in how she views this? I don't know. She plays her cards pretty close to her chest. Um, she's, uh, in fact, I actually had uh, my editor, and he's also a very good producer. Um, it, he didn't want any producer credit, but he really should have gotten it. Um, I had him interview my both of my kids because... Um, they it, it's a very different dynamic they don't necessarily they'll tell him things they wouldn't necessarily tell their mom sure and she you can you can see the weight on her shoulders and it's concerning you know it it, it definitely concerns me and we've had talks about you know where I'll tell her 
you know, Dad and I are making uh, making plans for Liam. We have a special needs trust. There, are, we are putting, um, we're trying to put things, put a process in motion, so that you don't ever have to feel like your life decisions need to be made around your care for your brother. Mm-hmm. Um, we've encouraged her to go far away for college, for instance, if that's what she wants, so that she can be her own person and be individualized and choose the type of career and the type of lifestyle that she wants without thinking, well, how will this impact my brother if he mm. needs care? Mm-hmm. So I think I think she feels like she can be her own person and make her own choices separately from that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, occasionally I'll make a comment like, oh, you know, I, I try not to do this too often, but I may say, oh, I have, you know, this or that fear. And she'll say, mom, as long as I'm around, that will never happen to Liam. Oh, right. I, well, no matter what you put into place, right, there's, there's, um, there's how each individual person processes what's going on. And, and um, so I can understand how that would be a very hard thing to hear. But uh, but I, I asked you that question and I appreciate your honesty with it because I think it's something that's on the minds of, of just about every parent who who is, is in a situation where their child has reached this age and is probably doing mm-hmm. something very similar and having similar experiences with their other children. So I do appreciate your perspective. We have a, just a couple minutes to go before the end of the interview. I want to talk about how, how does a community rally around, first of all, seeing the documentary because I understand that you have to request to view it directly from you. But but more importantly than an individual person viewing it or a family viewing it together would be the way to affect change is to get communities to embrace this documentary and to uh, invite people who otherwise aren't living this every day to learn about it and care about it by way of, of seeing your, your work. So where are you trying to get this shown and what can any of our listeners who might have the opportunity to help do to, uh, to help you get there? So far I've applied to, um, my gosh, like a dozen or more uh, film festivals. There's kind of a portal where you, you put your film in and you put all your information in and then, um, and you pay <laughs> so that like that mm-hmm. can get expensive. Um, and you wait and see if they accept it. So I'm, I'm still waiting on some of those because I'd really like to get this film out to the mainstream public. We had an event here in Carlsbad, California, where I'm from. I had received a grant from the city to help me finish the film, which I was so grateful for. So we did a premiere here in Carlsbad at an uh, auditorium, a beautiful auditorium at one of our local libraries. We had standing room only at this premiere, and um, there were over 250 people there. Mm. And people from, you know, all different parts of the community huge uh, showing from the autism community, obviously. And then we did a Q&A after, which is the way I think this film works really well, because then you can put it into context and you can start to talk about some of the good things that are happening since I wrapped production on the film. Okay. Um, and it's parents, you know, let's be honest, it's parents doing it that are coming up with new ideas and micro-businesses and intentional communities. So we got to share some of that. But a couple of my friends from college came up to me afterward and said, you know, I've known you for 30 years I had no idea what your family was like, what you go through. And that said to me, this really needs to get out, um, not only to the autism community, but just to the general public. Mm -hmm. And then you start to talk about, you know, we mentioned policy earlier. There are people making policy decisions. There are people making funding decisions. And if they're basing those decisions on a TV show where they saw an autistic man who is a doctor 
they may not be making the decision that's best for Liam or Sam or Zane and Minna or any of the other young adults in our community that have uh, much greater needs. Right. I think, I mean, I think that's beautifully put and very clearly laid out there. So in the last 30 seconds that we have, I'm just going to really recommend that our visitor, that our listeners uh, go to your website, which is, can you share that just so we have that out there? Yeah, it's agingoutmovie.com. Aging. And there you can find out how to contact me, agingoutmovie.com. Okay. So agingoutmovie.com, you can contact Melissa. You can see the trailer, which is compelling in and of itself. And, um, and you know, if there's anybody out there who has an opportunity to to, to talk with you from any, any area of the country, really, um, I'm talking to you from New York and you're in California. So, you know, I agree with you. I think that this is a message that needs to be spread in a number of ways and certainly telling the stories of actual individual people from the perspective of their loved ones as well as community members is a really important, impactful way to do this. So so again, go to agingoutmovie.com. Melissa Collins-Porter, thank you for your time and for your work, and I really wish you the best of luck in getting this, um, getting your documentary out there to the public. Thank you so much, Eliza. It was a pleasure talking to you. As it was with you. Thank you. This is 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week. 